the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. For the last two weeks, things we've been looking at are parts of Daniel, our experience in a time that's known as the Babylonian dispersion, which in the Jewish history is probably the equally darkest period of their history along with the Holocaust in Nazi Germany. So the Babylonian dispersion is such a brutal time in the Bible that actually when we read through some of these stories, we sometimes fail to grasp that actually we're talking about something so unbelievably brutal. And because it's so far away in human history, I think we fail to grasp the severity of it. But as soon as you mention the Holocaust, we all know how brutal that was and we all can kind of relate to that was some messed up stuff going on. So in Lamentations, which is a book in the Bible made up of five poems, it has a story, it has a verse of poetry in there talking about some of the Hebrew women had, had eaten their babies to survive. That's how bad it was. And then they wished they died because now they were having to live with the fact of what they'd done. So when we talk about it being a dark period, we're talking about a seriously dark period and Lamentations kind of really, really highlights that one. Today's talk is going to be a weird one. It's kind of like if you watch basketball, it's going to be a layup. Today is not about a slam dunk. Today is for the next couple of Sundays coming up. I'm putting out some material, some ideas, some things we're going to flow into that today will be kind of okay, but for the coming weeks are kind of essential. So if you've got your Bibles or you've got the City Hill London app, if you want to open it up or if you have a paper one, nice, antique, whoop whoop, we're going to be flowing through Daniel chapter 10. So the first week we looked at Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego and the fact that there is another one in the fire with them and actually there's another one in the fire with us in life and last week um, we looked at a couple other things about Daniel and how God had the writing on the wall for Nebuchadnezzar and how sometimes the writing on the wall is on our lives and we need to be aware uh, and ready to embrace what it is that God is doing. So today we're looking at Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. You're going to have to bear with me because like I said, this is the stranger things. So this is kind of a weird passage just like the others we read. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel who was named Belshazzar. And the word was true and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word that he was had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. So 21 days, he fasted. I ate no delicacies, no meat, no wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all, put on no aftershave, man, muscles stunk, for three, four weeks. On the 24th day of the month, I was standing on the back of the great river, that is Tigris. I looked up with my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Ufas around his waist, his body was like beryl, his face was like the appearance of lightning, his eyes were like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished, burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and I saw this great vision. No strength was left in me. I was sapped of all my energy. My radiant appearance was, has, was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face deep in sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved 
Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia shall withstood me 21 days. Notice that, those days, 21 days. It's like so solid, but days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for the days yet to come. And when he had spoken to me, according to these words, I turned my face towards the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and I spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the visions, pains have come upon me. I feel, he feels great anxiety, he feels a great weight, he feels pain, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now, no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. And again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you've strengthened me. And he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Now, if you're reading through Daniel, that is some crazy, crazy, crazy passage. There's lots of crazy stuff going on. And when we read about these princes, we can have all this idea of like royalty, maybe because of like Nebuchadnezzar and the way that it speaks about these things. But in Daniel, there is this idea of something which you've never seen. It's kind of touched on in different parts of the Hebrew Bible, but no one really touches on it. And I think some of the Jewish writers and the rabbis, some of them esteemed Daniel as beyond a prophet because they said he saw more than any of the prophets ever saw. And some of them, they say he's not a prophet because it doesn't say a prophet next to his name, but actually there's eight prophets in the Old Testament that don't, aren't called prophets, but yet are categorized with their books as prophets. But Daniel sees some things that no one else sees. And in this passage, Daniel starts to reveal something that's never been anywhere in the Jewish Bible before. It's never been anywhere in any kind of spiritual thought before. But he starts to see how some things operate that no one had seen. So when he talks about princes, he's not talking about like princes. He's not talking about the Prince of Wales. He's not talking about emperors. He's not talking about rulers. He's not talking about any of these types of things. He has this experience where he sees this person that is shining like lightning, who speaks with the voice of a multitude. Daniel is engaging with with an angel. It's at a point where he fasts for 21 days. And the thing that the angel says to him, he says, sorry, it took me so long, Daniel, basically. It took me 21 days, the time he's been fasting and praying for over a particular issue. And then the angel comes and he goes, the reason I wasn't here straight away was as I was coming to you, the prince of Persia met with me and he resisted me and I couldn't couldn't get to you. But then Michael, one of the angels you hear about in the Bible, who's, who's quite a... I guess he must be a hench because he deals with a lot of stuff. He comes as the heavy lifting because the prince of Persia and the kings of Persia are now stopping this angel from getting to Daniel. And so Michael comes, holds these guys back, and then he comes through and it says, it took me 21 days. So you started fasting. You started doing this thing that you were doing. And for you, maybe you felt like you were fasting about an issue. Maybe you were fasting because you were grieved about something. But I need you to know something. I want to let you have insight into what it is that you're you're wrestling with, what it is that you're pushing through with, is that actually 
there was this whole battle going on that you couldn't see. Just like you couldn't see me, your friends around you who are with you, they ran away trembling because they felt the presence of this angel, but they didn't see this angel. They didn't get the vision. Only Daniel gets the vision and he falls to the ground as if he were dead. He feels like there's no breath in him anymore. He feels afraid. So sometimes like in Christian tradition, when they talk about angels, they're very fluffy. They're very like, it's a lighthearted thing. Like people are in a worship service and they go, I see angels everywhere and stuff like that. And you hear all these kind of things. That's not like Daniel. Daniel falls face down on the ground as if he's dead, like he's passed out. Like that's when I passed out. He's gone. He's out of it. And then he starts having this vision. The angel has to strengthen him, lift him up and start speaking to him. And he says that at this moment, the Prince of Persia is going to get moved to because I'm leaving you and I'm going to go back up there and me and Michael are going to smack this angel up, these angels, these powers in, this, in these principalities. We're going to smack them up. They're going to fall away. But when they fall away, it creates a power vacuum. He says, Greece is coming to replace them. So when Daniel's writing all of these things, the main empire at the time is the Persian empire. Who do we see in human history get slapped up? We see the Persian Empire get slapped up by the Greeks. Alexander the Great comes along and some before him and start breaking down this this empire. And so what happens in this passage is you see the children of Israel suffering under this Babylonian rule that's been going on for a long time now. And what we see in Daniel is something so peculiar and so strange. In the last two weeks we touched on it that with Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego they would refuse to bow down and their lives were on the line because they wouldn't bow down, they wouldn't quit on their God, they wouldn't turn away from him. At a time when the Jewish people felt that God had left them, they found that there was another in the fire standing next to them, that they weren't alone. Even though they felt alone, they weren't alone and that God was with them. And they decided to trust God regardless of whether they were thrown in the fire or not. And he was there and he was with them. The next thing we looked at is we, when we were looking at Daniel, and there's loads of different examples of this. There's Daniel in the lion's den where he doesn't, he refuses to stop prayer. He won't stop praying when they've said that you can't pray anymore. He doesn't back down. Throughout the whole of Daniel, you see one consistent theme. In the time of Jewish history, where never before in the Hebrew Bible had they ever felt more forsaken than this period. The end of Lamentations doesn't end with, oh God, thank you so much. Things are rosy and things are amazing right now. It ends with, God, will you ever remember us? I know we deserve the judgment we've got. I know we've been taken over by the Babylonians because we forsook you. I know we we turned away, did dark things. I know we sacrificed our children to foreign gods. I know we did all this messed up stuff. And I get it. If this is all there is for us, just more judgment, more suffering in Babylon. If this is all there is, we get it. But please remember us. And it ends with this question. Will we be remembered? Won't we be remembered? doesn't end with this idea of like everything's going to be rosy. In so many parts of the Bible we have this understanding that, you know, things are messed up, they come to God and things go wonderful again. But this time is so brutal, so broken that they don't really believe that God is with them anymore. They become ambiguous to him. They don't believe he's there for them. They believe they're isolated and alone. And the stranger thing about Daniel is that consistently page after page as you turn through the book, you see a perspective that no one else sees, that Daniel sees beyond what they're going through. Daniel sees beyond their personal suffering. He sees beyond their national suffering. He sees that God is sovereign and that even while all the madness is going on, he is still making the moves. He sees Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego. He sees them stand up to to the ruler and become in charge. He sees Daniel survive longer when even the emperor himself is killed. He sees the next one, his son come in, Belshazzar, who's ruling things. Then the writing is on the wall by God because he starts using the holy instruments to defile them for his party and for his orgy. And, And the writing's on the wall. You have been weighed and found wanting and you'll be taken over by the Persians. The Persians come and they take them over. And then Daniel now in chapter 10 is saying, hey Persia, the time's up. He's saying, you've been weighed, you've been found wanting, and now Greece is coming, he's gonna smack you guys up. 
But what Daniel does in this passage is before we saw all this from a humanistic standpoint of like God doing these things and these things coming to pass, but Daniel starts to see the stranger things. He starts to see another world in this. He starts to meet with this angelic being that starts to tell him what's going to happen and then it starts to happen. You know, there's a crazy thing in our world at the moment which I find interesting is I've got a lot of friends who, well, I've got a couple of friends who are scientists. I've got a lot of friends who are um, really staunch atheists and we have some amazing, wonderful conversations. But the way they will start talking to me, being someone of faith and someone who believes the Bible, is from a position of absolute mockery. Like they'll say there's a page missing in the Bible, the front page, which talks about the fairies and this is a work of fiction. And that's their joke and it's really, really funny. Until we get down to the fact that everything in science is underpinned now because they can't get the maths to add up for the universe, so they have to have dark matter which doesn't exist or hasn't been proven to exist yet. So as far as I'm concerned, some scientists who disagree with dark matter and believe in adjusted gravity theory call it pixie dust. So ironically, there are scientists calling other scientists believing in pixie dust, which is the same thing that some of my friends who are scientists call about me, that these things go round and round in circles. But there are some observations, scientifically speaking, that when we look at some of the teachings in the Bible that still run through today. One of the things it talks about is blessings and curses. The last couple of years, you see in the Bible, it talks about it going down from the third and the fourth generations, the behaviors, the curses that comes with and the rewards that come with. And then we look at epigenetics today in our world and we've seen that those who have suffered from the Holocaust three generations later are still scientifically showing the signs of the anxiety experienced by their parents and their forefathers before them, even though they've never experienced the torture and the mistreatment in the concentration camps that something within us is going down to these and they say scientifically in the journals they've seen it to the third and to the fourth generation and then when we look at Daniel we see this strange thing with this interconnection between the two and I want to read you something that I read in New Scientist magazine on August the 24th that week's edition um, by Lee Smolin Quantum theory doesn't seem to, no, quantum theory seems to violate the principle of locality, which says that objects or events must be near to one another to interact. In classical physics, for example, the gravitational or the electrical force between two objects depends on their distance. The closer they are in space, the stronger the force between them. Quantum theory, meanwhile, introduces entanglement a phenomenon that allows objects to seemingly influence each other instantaneously over any distance. So one of the things they found is like you could take two particles, they could be on the other side of the world, one of them turns or changes in a way, the other one changes completely over this distance, does the exact same thing with no means or seems to have any communication or interact between these two objects. Daniel starts to see actually that actually the world he lives in isn't dictated solely on the events of man around him and these interactions, but he sees and puts out this whole new theological understanding that the rabbis had of the world. They no longer saw it as just heaven and earth. They would talk about three heavens. They would talk about earth being heaven. They would talk about a second heaven, which they would talk about the rulers, the powers, principalities, the angels and the hosts. And then they would talk about the third heaven where God is. Today, when we look at the universe, the math doesn't add up, and so they say there has to be multiple realities. So now they don't talk about the universe anymore, they talk about the multiverse, if you've noticed that shift. There has to be these other universes having different levels of dark matter for them to make sense of why spiral galaxies don't have the outer stars spinning off into the distance, because when they apply the universal laws of physics, we found out they're not universal anymore. They don't hold those things in their place anymore. It doesn't add up, the math doesn't add up. No matter what number they assign to, to dark matter or dark energy, 
they can't seem to get it right. Even though they've never observed dark energy or dark matter and never proved it, it's kind of there. And they have this understanding of the universe now when they look at quantum physics and quantum mechanics that there is an, an essence where two things can be entangled with no seeming interaction between the two and the two things change it. I want to read to you something from now Matthew's Gospel, 16, um, Matthew's Gospel chapter 16 and verse 13. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do they say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this thing to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Gehenna shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. And, and then strictly he charged the disciples to tell no one he was the Christ. Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you and you have gained your brother, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as the Gentile and the tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth should be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth should be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or three gather together and agree on earth and they ask anything, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where there are two or three gathered in my name, there I am among them. There is this strange thing that Jesus seems to talk about and he seems to echo that we see from Daniel. And he sees it not just on the big level, on the big scale of these conflicts between nations, but there's conflicts between us. The Apostle Paul sees it another way. Ephesians 6 verse 12, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and against blood, but against the powers, the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Paul had this understanding and Paul takes his understanding solely off the grounds of Daniel. This understanding that there's something else otherly there that somehow entangles with what we deal with here and now. The thing that we see in the Stranger Things TV series you've been watching on Netflix, I absolutely love it, is as they're looking in, scientists are looking into this other world, trying to explore the effects that it has on this one. And these kids and these families get entangled in this situation where one of them is stuck on the other side and he's affecting things in this world and there's this interaction between these two. And it's one of the Stranger Things. But the thing that Daniel teaches us is, is that he says that sometimes you and I are looking at one another as if we're the problem. And Paul says sometimes we wrestle with flesh and blood blood one to another against those who are around us but actually Paul says I've realized that actually that's kind of futile I kind of put on the armor that God has given me I start to take on the spiritual things that God has given me and I make war against the forces and the heavenly powers and the cosmic rulers of this world and when he says that he's relating to a Jewish audience about Daniel he's saying remember Daniel he said how did they deal with the Persians they didn't deal with the Persians the angel came and he moved to the Persian ruler and then Greece came in afterwards. And Daniel calls these shots way before the Greeks take over the Persians. And Daniel calls these shots before that with the Babylonians and that the king of Persia would come and take his place, that Darius would be on the throne. All of this stuff this week is just about the stranger things, but there's two levels. There's the big level, like with some of the world issues that we face, where actually some of the things we need to wrestle with aren't just of our own actions and interactions, but on a bigger, more cosmic kind of scale. But then there's on the smaller actions where Jesus says, he says, man, you got an issue with your brother? He goes, you're entangled. 
It goes, the things that you're doing here and now wrong to your brother. He says, these things that you've let loose on earth are going to be loose in heaven. He goes, when you step to God, when you step into what happens with eternity, there is, it's, it's connected. There's no disconnect that you can just treat people how you want and then expect that your access to God is on the same way. He says, but when you forgive on earth, it's forgiven in heaven. When you put wrong the things you have with your friend and your brother, that's when things are opened up up there. I think so often in life, you and I think and see like, well, no one's watching, no one's got this, no one's got that. I'm not saying this in some kind of guilt and kind of judgment way, but I'm saying we have access to overcome things that we never dreamed possible. So this week, as we bring to a close kind of the Stranger Things 1 series, I want us to know that actually some of the things that we face, man, some things you can't just work out by trying to sit down and talk with sometime, someone. I've had a few situations where forgiveness has been something where I can't just sit down with that person and talk through it because all they're going to do is disagree with me. But I've had to come to a place where spiritually I just go, you know what, I'm going to forgive that person regardless because for me, I'm connecting to something that's higher than that. And that actually forgiving this person, even though they've wronged me and it hurts me so friggin' much, I've got to forgive that person. Because you know what you're going to find is either you're going to be entangled to the things of God in this world or you're going to be entangled to foolishness. And if you live your whole life entangled to foolishness, it's going to bring you down. If you're going to live your whole life struggling with what's in front of you, you're going to find at the end of it, you're just all tied up in knots. But actually when whatever you loose on earth is loose in heaven, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, there are some things you just got to bag and tag and go, God, I just give this to you. I just ask you to help me to forgive them in this situation. I know what they've done to me is wrong. I know it's held me back and I know it's been ruining my life for years. I don't want to stay in bitterness anymore. I don't want to stay holding myself back because of the foolishness of what they've done to me. I don't want to be prisoner anymore. I want to forgive this person because when I come to you and your kingdom, I want to come free of this baggage. There's no greater baggage than unforgiveness. You think when you forgive someone, you set that person free. I guarantee you, when you forgive, the person that gets free is you. I promise you, every single time. So many times I thought, when I forgive that person, they're gonna be so happy, they're gonna be like released. They don't find any release or freedom. I find the release of freedom. I know this because two of my close friends, Ray and Vi Donovan, I'm gonna get them to come down here one time. I met their son. Their son was murdered when I was a kid. I met him at a church near where my parents live. He was beaten up by some guys, left in the road, car run him over, brain dead, within the day, gone. And Ray was kind of, he was a dodgy guy from around Putney kind of area, and he he like knew the craze and that, and he was like, that's it, I'm gonna kill this guy, I'm gonna kill these kids that did this to my son, I'm gonna finish them. And then over a two day period, he'd grown up in kind of an in and around church, he started to explore with some friends of mine about forgiveness. And he came to a place where they said that it would be two years, it could be up to two years again before he laughs again. Two days later, he was laughing. I'm not saying that's a normal response. And he wasn't laughing about the situation, but he found forgiveness. He found a journey of forgiveness and he could just start to experience joy again two days after his son had been murdered. Man, that's an amazing story. And you know what's cool about them? I know that they've met their son's killer and I know they've forgiven him. And I know they've been hugging. They've hugged the murderer of their son. I'm not even kidding you. And at the court, at the docks, they were hugging the parents of that son when he got sentenced to go to prison. Because they said, today, we don't get justice. Today, we both lose our son. People with forgiveness at center, and I've seen them going around living their life, teaching others about forgiveness, going around prisons, going to Rwanda, people who suffered during the genocide, and helping them process forgiveness. Because you see, when we forgive, we think we're setting someone else free. The truth is we set ourselves free. I'm going to pray for us and then that'll be it for this week for the Stranger Things series. Lord God, I thank you that so often we get tangled up in the small issues of life and the hurts that come our way 
But Father, we know that when we forgive, just as you forgive us so faithfully every time, we get set free of that. I pray, Lord, that this week would be a week where maybe some of the deep-rooted hurts in our lives, you would help guide us to forgive those people. It may mean we need to speak to them. It may not. It may mean we just make a decision. That's it. I'm forgiving it. I pray that this week, Lord, we would encounter that freedom, knowing, Lord, that this stuff that entangles us entangles us away from you. And we make a decision, Lord, that we want to forgive those who've hurt us, knowing that it can bring freedom into our lives in ways we never dreamed possible. In Jesus' name, amen. We really hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. Conversation.